And so, again, thank you for being here. We are continuing on in our short mini-series here. This is our last week in our series called Answers in My Identity, looking at some pitfalls, uh, some things that undermine our identity in Christ Jesus. Very first week and uh, subsequent weeks, I tried to establish that our identity is found even way back in Genesis, right? When the fact that we have been created in the image of God, that right there, that little phrase that we were created in God's image sets the tone, sets the foundation for everything. Because if we've been created in the image of God, we've been created to image God, Right? So it's that simple. If we've been created in his image, we are a reflector. We are a magnifier. We are something that images the glory and work of Christ, the glory and the work of God, the redemption and reconciliation and restoration and ultimate salvation that comes through Christ. That is reflected in his creation, in us, his church. There's a whole world out there that is searching for meaning, searching for significance, searching for their identity, and they're looking in all other places. They're looking everywhere. Relationships, right? Nobody, nobody wants to be told what to do, let alone who they are. We want to define who we are. We want to define our own identity. We're going to identify with this group, with this group, with these people, with this thing, this brand, this uh, cause, whatever it is, this is where I find my identity. But our identity has been established by God since the very beginning. We've been made in the image of God to image God. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the traps and pitfalls that, that come at us, whether it be performance, right, the very first week, that I need to do right. I need to be right by my performance. I am made right by my performance. So when I succeed, right? It's all based to me. When I fail, it's all based to me, and I'm left with despair. That week, we looked at justification, that we are not made right by our actions, by our works, whether how righteous they are or not, but we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, that it is the gospel. Try to uh, point out that over the last few weeks, right, we're talking about the singular work of Jesus. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus and these beautiful facets, whether it's justification where we are declared not guilty, that we are put in a right standing before a holy God. I'd never be able to stand before God in my own righteousness. My righteousness is filthy rags. I'm still filthy and vile and a sinner, but through Christ, what we just sang about, through Christ, I am justified and declared not guilty. I'm also reconciled. The relationship is put back right. I don't have to seek the approval of others, but I have been approved by God because of Jesus, because of his work, because of his gospel. Last week, we looked at how he's the propitiation of our sins. Fancy theological word, fancy uh, seminary word that essentially means that the wrath of God that was due sinners, me, is put on Jesus, that he took the wrath of God, the full wrath of God that was due sinners, has been put on Christ, and by faith, his righteousness is put on us. Doesn't seem very fair, does it? Right? When we want justice and we want fairness, what God says is right and just is that his son would come because of his love for us, that his son would come and die in our place for our sins, and we would receive life and life eternal. 
how beautiful and awesome it is. How beautiful and awesome the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And so today we continue on in this series. We're going to look at another, uh, basically, a theological concept, a doctrine. We're going to look at it, uh, another pitfall about how, how our identity is undermined, both with the lies that the world feeds us, maybe the lies that we feed ourselves, and of course the enemy of our soul that is scheming to steal and destroy to murder, to kill, to steal, destroy. That enemy is scheming, and oftentimes we believe the lies. I've caught myself at, so, at, at different points in my life uttering the phrase, no one ever really changes. Have you ever found yourself in that mindset or that error? Maybe you've actually said those words. Maybe you walked out of a uh, tough relationship or out of a, a tough conversation you know, and I've been in some counseling situations where I've walked out of them and I've gone, man, we need a miracle here now, God. We need it. Like, because in the back of your mind, you're going like, no one really changed. Ever, have you ever uttered those words? I've seen it too many times. I've seen how people can get stuck in a rut and no one ever really changes. Maybe you've uttered those words about you. Maybe you've become fixated on a fault of yours or a struggle of yours, or maybe a sin that you cannot quite beat. We've come to the conclusion, I guess I just am who I am, and I'm not going to change. I can't change. It's too hard. I was reminded a couple weeks ago, I don't know who, what author uh, said it, but uh, the person you talk to the most is yourself. You ever notice, did you ever realize that? The person you talk to the most is you. So be careful about what you're saying. Be careful about what you're fortifying in your life. I catch myself doing this all the time, especially like when I'm getting ready in the morning. Anybody else talk to themselves in the shower? Talk to themselves while you're getting ready? I'm not the only crazy person in the room. I know it. You're talking to yourself, right? You're, you're mulling over some conversation you had and how it didn't go the way that you needed it to go or the way that you wanted it to go. Maybe you stuck your foot in your mouth again. You're like, oh, I'm so dumb. Oh, I'm so... And I'm not talking about some, like, self-affirmation, right? Do you remember that old SNL skit back then? Probably not. It's, it's an old one where I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me kind of thing. I'm not talking about something like that where you got to, like, all these positive affirmations every day. But the person that talks to you most is you. And make sure you're speaking the words of God into your own heart and your own life daily. Because my heart is deceitful. My heart is deceived many times. And what I'm feeling in my heart isn't real, isn't reality. I can walk out of a conversation or I can like read into something that you guys said to me. And all of a sudden, I've spun some crazy story in my brain that's not real about who you are, about who I am, about how this relationship is. We do that all the time with our God as well. But when I look at the Word of God, and I look at the truth of God, and I meditate on that, right? It says that in Scripture. I've hidden that Word in my heart, that that Word speaks truth in my life. And that when I have those feelings, when I have those conversations in my head, I can bring them to the obedience of Christ, to take those thoughts captive to what is really true and real. Be careful 
about the words that you speak to yourself. Otherwise, you might find yourself in a mode, in a mindset of, you know what, I just am who I am, and I can't change. So let's read a text together. It's a familiar text. I referenced it a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to actually look through a, quite a few uh, texts this morning. Next week, we'll be back in the book of John. If you've missed the book of John or study in the book of John, we'll be continuing on in that. Our, uh, kind of our uh, expository study will be in John chapter 19, so get ready. We'll be jumping back to that next, next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's read this together. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, man. I could preach a sermon just on that line. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Right? Propitiation. Talked about it last week. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we've used that phrase quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let's pray and let's dig into this today. Again, Father, we thank you and praise you for your glorious word and for your Holy Spirit alive in your people. God, today I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, that we would not be merely motivated to be better people that we wouldn't be merely motivated for better behaviors, but God, that we'd be transformed, that we'd be changed by your Holy Spirit and by your word today. God, change us. And God, then let our behavior change as well. So thank you, God, for your word. And thank you for your spirit, alive in your people. We... we, we dedicate this morning to you. We commit this morning to you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> there are a couple of things that undermine our identity. We've been looking at a few of them, like whether it's performance or approval, or, or last week we looked at blame, right? Go way back to the garden of Adam and Eve, right? The first words after, after the Lord comes walking into the garden, the cool of the day, and they had just taken a bite of that tree, and he's like, we hid because we were scared. We hid because we, we knew that we were naked. He's like, who told you that you were naked? And then the first thing Adam does is he blames Eve. The woman you gave me. Kind of blames God a little bit too, which seems kind of dangerous to me. He blames the woman. But the woman, by the way, who you gave me, right? It's just us two. Goes to Eve. And Eve blames the serpent. That serpent deceived me. Right? So we fall into these traps, whether it be a performance or approval or blaming someone else. 
But a lot of times, I think, another thing that kind of comes into play is shame and condemnation. Undermining the gospel in our lives. And so I, I want to speak to that this morning, and I, I need to make some distinctions because a lot of times we use the word shame, and, it, and it's misplaced. Like when you look through scriptures, there are appropriate times for shame. There are appropriate places for shame. Like not being ashamed of Jesus and the testimony of Jesus, right? That would be a misplaced shame. You should not be full of shame or ashamed of Christ Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. It's right in the conversation about taking up your cross and following me, right? Crucifying your flesh and your ambition, your will, and following Christ. It says in verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? To gain the whole world, right? Riches, fame, friends, status, whatever it is. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Pointing to that priceless eternal nature. Verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. Right? So that would be an inappropriate shame. To be ashamed of Christ, to be ashamed of his word. Have you ever been with somebody that you were embarrassed by? Right? You ever been in that awkward situation where you're like, oh, I don't know him. Right? You're in a restaurant or you're at a party or something and there's just somebody kind of acting a fool. Maybe somebody, uh, I've, I've been in some situations. Not super proud of it, but I've been in some situations in the past where, you know, you got somebody who maybe had a little too much to drink, right? People have a little too much to drink, they get a little stupid. We'll just say it. Kids don't say stupid. That's not a good word. Right? You're embarrassed by their actions. You're embarrassed, like, you're, I don't know them. I don't know him. Christ Jesus. You ever been in that situation where you've had the ability to stand for Christ and you blew it? I have. Yeah, those, those moments where you had this beautiful open door to inject the gospel, to shine the light of Christ, and instead you took that and you hid it under your bushel. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, right? We, we looked at last week how Jesus advocates for us. He advocates not on our own merits, not on our goodness, not on our accomplishments, but, but Christ stands before the Father and advocates for us. 1 John chapter 2 says, when we do sin, when we do fall short, when we do screw up again, Jesus advocates for us, not with your merits, not with my merit, not with our goodness, but he, he, he advocates for us with his own life. And with his work on the cross, and then he becomes the propitiation of our sins. We need to stand with him, not be ashamed of him. To identify ourselves with him and stand up for him and for his words. This, uh, this world that we're in right now is hell-bent on denying truth and denying the design of God. God has this beautiful design for mankind found in his word. And everywhere you look, it is being undermined. And the silliness of it, the, I guess not even silliness of it, the evil of it 
makes its way into churches, where all of a sudden you're looking at whether it be gospel manhood, gospel sexuality, whatever it is, and it infiltrates into, and it undermines the design of God, the words of God put forth in Scripture. We are to not be ashamed of Christ or his words, but to stand beautifully and boldly. That would be a misplaced or an inappropriate kind of shame. Unfortunately, though, we esteem man more than we esteem God many times. We have a fear of man instead of a fear of God, a healthy reverence and fear of God. John Piper put it this way. He said, if human opinion is more emotionally powerful than God's opinion of us, and if the power of human opinion cripples us and silences us with shame because we claim to be a Christian, that is a misplaced shame, an inappropriate shame, and we're not going to stand in the judgment, Jesus says. Do not be ashamed for something that honors God, no matter how weak or foolish it makes you look in the eyes of others. So in essence, an inappropriate shame or a misplaced shame would be being ashamed of something that brings honor to God. But there is an appropriate shame. See, now shame is a word that is used a lot in our culture in recent years, and usually it's, it's put together with another word like body shaming, fat shaming, and it's more, less like shame, and it's more like bullying, where you pick a characteristic or a flaw of someone, and you shame them with that. You bully them with that. But let's make sure that we have the right understanding of shame, and, and let's not confuse it with something like condemnation. There is an appropriate shame. Sin is shameful. Being in rebellion to the word and design of God is a shameful thing. It betrays the image of God. It betrays our identity. It is treason against him. And sin is shameful. Now, it's not something we need to uh, be buried under. It's not something that we need to find ourselves crippled by. But like, just even like a basic secular Oxford Dictionary definition of shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Let me say it again. Painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the conscious, consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Ever done anything wrong or foolish and you realized it and you were like, dang it. Uh, you feel that shame, right? There's that emotional response that comes by being foolish or, uh, I guess, wrong. It's an emotional response to wrong or foolish behavior, but don't confuse shame with condemnation. Heard one pastor, I, I forget who it is, but one pastor like, describes shame and conviction uh, as opposed to uh, condemnation, and, it, and it's like a knife in the hands of a surgeon versus a knife in the hands of a madman. Right? A knife in the hands of a surgeon is something beautiful and healing. Yes, it cuts. Yes, maybe it hurts for a moment, but it brings about healing. A knife in the hands of a surgeon is very different than a knife in the hands of a madman who is only to destroy. 
So when you have that emotional tug after you've done something wrong or foolish, understand that the Holy Spirit working in the life of Christians, that, that shameful feeling, has a beautiful effect in the life of a believer. It's the hands of a surgeon who loves you, who doesn't want you to persist in destructive or sinful behavior. But he works by his spirit to bring about change, to bring glory to his name so that we will walk in the identity that we're called to. And like I said, shame is fine for a moment, but we shouldn't live there. We shouldn't live there because of what Christ has done for the believer. There are appropriate responses to sin and there are inappropriate responses to sin and that emotional response of shame that comes because of sinful behavior. Inappropriate responses you can see in the life of Adam and Eve. Right? I love the fact that we can go all the way back to those first stories in Scripture to look for our identity, to look to uh, sin entering the world, that blame game that we talked about, and also maybe what not to do, an inappropriate response to sin and to shame. Okay, So Adam and Eve, right? they're in the garden. They sin. What do they do? They run away. They cover themselves, right? Anybody got some fig leaves in the yard? They cover themselves, and they hide in their environments, right? They're hiding. They're covering themselves. They're running away from their God, hoping that he doesn't see. How foolish. First off, how foolish. Like we think we can run from God. But then there's appropriate responses to sin, right? When you come face to face with your sin, when you're confronted and convicted with your sin and you feel that shame, there's an appropriate response. And instead of running away, you run home. Remember the prodigal son story a couple weeks ago? Dad, give me my inheritance. I can't wait for you to die. He doesn't say that. It doesn't say that in scripture. It's me projecting a little bit. But essentially, like, right, I can't wait to get all your stuff, so give me what's due me now so I can go off and live my own life. And he goes off and he squanders it, right? Wine, women, and song. Go off and he squanders it. And he finds himself in a really bad spot. Hires himself out, feeding some pigs, and he's going, man, I would love to eat some of this right now. And he thinks back about his dad thinks back about how good his dad's servants had. And he's like, I do not deserve to be called a son any longer. Maybe I'll go back and just say, treat me as a servant. And what does he do? Instead of continuing to run away, he runs home. We know the story. His dad sees him far away off, and he hikes up his robe, and he runs to meet him and embraces him, Let's kill that fatted calf. Let's put a ring on his finger. Let's put my robe upon him. This is my son. He was dead and he's alive. Stop running away. Start running home. Another appropriate response to the shame that we feel from sin would be to uncover yourself. Right? Adam and Eve 
in the garden? They run and they cover themselves. Let's find some fig leaves. Let's sew them together. Let's cover our shame. All of a sudden, we realize just how naked we are. Let's cover ourselves. Let's not. Uncover yourself. Right? When you look at sin, you look at what, what scriptures call us to, particularly for those of us in the church, right? Like, when we come into Christ, our sins are forgiven. You are forgiven. Past, present, and future. They are all under the blood of Christ. And so we don't have to, like, in our shame and in, like, oh, just, like, whimper and, like, oh, like, we're forgiven. You're forgiven. Understand that you're forgiven, but now stop hiding. You look at scriptures, and it's all about confession and repentance. Like, that would be the appropriate response. Instead of hiding and covering yourself, uncover yourself by confession and repentance. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Psalm chapter 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Acts 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins, right? He is just. It is right that he would forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so the inappropriate responses are run away, cover yourself, hide in your environment. The appropriate responses would be run home to your father, uncover yourself in confession and repentance. And instead of hiding in your environment, instead of hiding in your seats in the pews, hide yourself in Christ. He has covered you. He atones for sin. He purifies. Hide yourself in him. There are people in this room right now who are struggling in shame and more so condemnation. They feel ashamed about their sin, which they should, but because they are one of two things, or, or maybe both things. One, not dealing appropriately with sin, and or two, not understanding the fullness of the work of Jesus and our wonderful, forgiven, justified, reconciled identity in him, because of this, we don't hide in Christ. We hide in our environment. We need to deal with sin appropriately, not treating it too lightly as we talked about last week, confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, because it is a big deal. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, where our men's group has been going through the Sermon on the Mount on Tuesday mornings. If you're a man in this room, and I know that sounds real binary, that sounds real, if you're a man in this room, join us on Tuesday mornings. Matthew chapter 5, though, man, sin is a big deal. He's talking about lust. 
says, man, if, if, if your eye causes you to sin, what does he say? Gouge it out. Sounds like a big deal. If your hand causes you to sin, cut, cut it off. We should have a bunch of lame people in this room right now. It's better for you to lose one of your members that your whole body go to hell. Confess, repent, run to God the Father, experience the fullness of his embrace, and stop hiding. Stop trying to cover yourself with the facade of happiness or good works. Like I said, it's foolish to think that we can hide from God. You're not hiding from God. He knows. You're hiding from men. You're hiding from your brothers and sisters. The more you care about what people think of you instead of being completely trans before God and man. The beautiful thing about it is we've been outed by Christ. We've been outed by the cross of Jesus. There is nothing hidden. There is nothing that is able to be hidden. This week it made me think about the woman at the well. John chapter 4, remember that? Months and months ago now. You had this woman who had five failed marriages. She had a live-in boyfriend, and she was full of shame. Full of shame. She was seen as filthy and vile, and that so much so, like, she was so shameful that she would go and get her water in the oppressive midday sun. She wanted to avoid the comments and the looks and the whispers of the other women, those looks and whispers of condemnation. Jesus is there. She comes face to face with Jesus. And she's outed. She's outed. She's hiding, right? She's hiding from others by coming to the well at the time of day that she came. She's exposed by Christ. He says, he just tells her the situation. Go back and get your husband. I don't have a husband. Well, you're right, because you've had five of them. The guy that you're with now is not your husband. Outed. Exposed. Then he offers her living water. He offers her himself. Offers her redemption and hope. Offers her life that's going to well up within her into a, to a spring of life. He doesn't look at her in her past and say, sorry, you're disqualified. But he embraces her. We need to appropriately deal with sin and shame, understanding that it's all been covered and hidden in Christ. Find yourself hidden in Christ. Jesus, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ in God, hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That if is not an if of question or doubt. If then you have been raised with Christ, it is more like a since. Since this is the fact, because of Christ, I have not only died with him, died to my sin, died to my flesh, died to my old self, but I have been raised with Christ. I will then seek 
Look to, seek out the things that are above. I will not follow this world or my old sinful tendencies, but I will realign my life to the things of God. I will realign my life to the things of Christ because the old Kevin has died. And this life, my life, is now hidden. It's not hiding in shame and condemnation of my sin, but it is now hidden and covered in Christ Jesus. So when he appears, when he returns, because of this life that I've been hiding in Christ, I will also appear with him in glory. You see, when you don't understand your identity in Christ, when we experience the the shame that comes from sin, and when you continue to not deal with it appropriately, to uncover by confession and repentance, or, or if we believe the schemes and the lies of the enemy of our soul, our enemy of our soul, who he's the accuser of the brethren, as it says in uh, Revelation chapter 12. He's the accuser. He's going to lie and lie and lie to undermine the work of Christ in your life you are still under that condemnation. It's going to undermine the work of justification, that it's you and your performance that makes you right and approved by God, when in fact, through Christ Jesus and faith in him alone, we are declared not guilty. The enemy of our soul is going to undermine the work of reconciliation, that the relationship with God is still broken and you're not approved, you're not good enough. It is by the work of Christ that we are new creatures, new creation. We've been reconciled by the work of Jesus. Satan, our accuser, wants us to believe that the wrath of God is still on us. But Christ, our propitiation, he took our sin, he took our shame and the just wrath of God, and he gives us his righteousness. To anyone who believes, puts their life in his hands. When we fail to deal properly with sin, uncover, confess, and repent, not run and hide, and we believe the lies of the enemy, we fail to understand the sufficient, full work of Christ. When those things happen, we can fall into despair, and we can believe the lie that no one ever really changes. I am who I am. Fail to see and understand the power of Christ and his salvation. We fail to understand and see the doctrine of regeneration and how it answers the trap of shame and condemnation. That you are no longer in your flesh. That you are no longer the old Kevin, but you are new and alive in Christ Jesus That when someone comes to faith in Christ, they are born again, not of flesh, but of spirit. They are new and not the same. You are new and not your old self. Don't believe the lies. We can change. We can change our behavior because we are changed in nature. There's too many times where we focus in on changing the behavior and not really digging into the presence of Jesus and allowing him to further change our nature. You guys still struggle with sin sometimes? I do. Paul did. 
You guys remember Romans chapter 7, right? And that's that beautiful dialogue like we can all relate to. Or, or he's sitting there and he's in his, in, in his letter to, uh, in Romans at chapter 7. It says in verse 25, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then myself, uh, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Right? Roman, the, earlier in that chapter he says, I do what I don't want to do, and I can't do the things that I want to do. Ever have that conversation with yourself? Ah, why can't I do what I want to do? Why can't I do what I'm supposed to do, what I know is right and good by God's word? Why can't I do it? Paul struggled with that too sometimes. But because of Christ... Because of Christ, because of the new birth, because of John chapter 3, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again, made new. Made new. Transformed. Not just motivated to be a better person. That's one brand of church that I'm not going to get behind. I cannot get behind. And my personality is that. Like I'm a, I love to cheer. I love to cheer at games. My favorite thing, ask my wife, my favorite thing in the world is to go to baseball games and to high-five strangers. I love high-fiving strangers. My kids are all in sports now. I love to cheer. I probably embarrass them sometimes. But when I get in church like this, like what I don't want is just to hoorah you into being better people. I don't want to just motivate you and stir you like, what wise and persuasive words or any, like it has to be the spirit of God alive in his church that's how we're changed that's how our nature becomes different then our behavior becomes different so we need to do business with the Holy Spirit when we come together like this to spend time in his presence to uncover ourselves to confess and repent of our wrongdoing, to, to let that shame work, that precision work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that work like a surgeon, not like a madman, not like the accuser, our enemy is just going to kill and destroy you under your covenant. Know who you are in Christ, that it's been covered by him, and walk in the freedom that is found in him. Our behavior will change when our nature is changed. Our nature is changed by the Spirit of God. This morning, as the band comes and we go to a time of worship, I'd like everyone to bow your heads and just close your eyes. I don't do this super often, but let's bow our heads and close our eyes today. I'm going to ask that uh, as we worship today that we have some of our prayer team folks available, Chris and some of you guys, if you want to be available for prayer, um, I'll make myself available as well here. 
Um, if you'd like prayer for anything this morning, uh, that would be awesome. That would be very appropriate. There might be some of us in this room today that you just need to confess and you need to repent this morning. Maybe you've been dealing lightly with sin, not appropriately with sin. Maybe you've been running. Maybe you've been hiding. Maybe you've been trying to cover yourself. And it's time just to run home. It's time to confess before your God and maybe before man. Maybe this morning you need one of us elders or one of us prayer team people. Maybe you, need, you just need us to pray with you. You need to confess. Today, maybe you know you need to deal appropriately with sin and you would just make that declaration. I need prayer this morning. I'm struggling with sin. I need prayer this morning. If you just want to look up and catch my eye and make that confession, please do. Thank you. It's time to deal appropriately with sin. Thanks. These moments, there's, there's nothing super magical about looking up or whatever, but an honest heart before God is essential. Sometimes some big action is needed. Thank you for your confession. Thank you. Thank you. God knows. He sees. Don't run. Don't hide. Confess your sin. Repent of it. And experience the embrace of Jesus. Maybe there's folks in here today that You've been believing the lies of the enemy. You've put your faith in Jesus, but you're still struggling under the weight of not just shame, but actual condemnation. You know that text that I read in Romans, right, where, where Paul is going back and forth and he's saying, I, I can't do what I want to do and the things I'm not supposed to do, I, I still find myself doing. And then he goes into that. And he says, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The very next verse is Romans 8.1. Most of you know it. There is now therefore no condemnation for those where? In Christ Jesus. That has been covered by Christ. You are no longer condemned. If you are in Christ Jesus, don't believe the lies of the enemy any longer. And please, stop speaking those lies over yourself. But understand the truth of the gospel and what it is to belong to Christ. That the answer is in my regeneration, in the beautiful newness of life that I have because of Christ. The old is past, the new has come, and all this is from Christ Jesus, who reconciled us, put us back into relationship with God. 
If you're walking in condemnation today, it is my prayer that you would experience the freedom that is found in Jesus. The truth of the gospel would eclipse the lies of the enemy. That truth would bear fruit. Fruit of joy. Do you realize how much joy is supposed to be found in the believer's life? Not because everything's awesome, but because we serve an awesome Savior who has done awesome things for us. The work of the cross of Jesus, the fullness of that work, the glorious work of Jesus and all that it affords us, goodness, our lives should be filled with joy. Thank you, God. Father, I pray for my friends in this room this morning. God, I pray for those that have been toying with sin and not dealing with it appropriately. Those that have been running and hiding, that today I pray that there would be confession and repentance in their life and that they would boldly walk in you, not hiding, but hiding themselves in you, not hiding in their environment, not hiding under a facade of good works or or self-righteousness, but God, that they would hide themselves in you and receive your righteousness. God, I pray for confession and repentance today. God, for those under the weight of their past, under the weight of condemnation, God, I pray for freedom today, for truth today, for newness of life and joy today. God, be glorified. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's keep responding to the Holy Spirit at a time of worship and prayer. If you'd like prayer, our prayer team folks will be available here. I'll be available up front here as well. Please take advantage. Please have someone pray with you this morning and let's sing unto our God.